You are listening to episode number 31 of The Love Noteworthy Show. Welcome to The Love Noteworthy Show, the guide to creating a business, brand, and life you love, taken from the lessons of female entrepreneurs, influencers, game changers, and change makers who have already made it happen. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Love Noteworthy Show. My name is Reese, and today we are going to be talking all about how to find your fairy tale ending in entrepreneurship, or in other words, just how to become a successful entrepreneur and going from idea to action. Now, in today's episode, I interview Adrienne Arieff, and I met her two years ago now at the Altitude Design Summit, which is held in Salt Lake City every January, the most phenomenal conference I've ever been to by far. You definitely have to check it out. And she was one of the roundtable panelists. And so myself, as well as about 10 other women, had an opportunity to sit down with her very small scale. And she talked all about public relations. And I was absolutely captivated by her. And we've stayed in touch since. And so it is such a pleasure and honor to be interviewing her finally today. So without further ado, here is Adrian Arief of Arief Communications, talking all about how to find your fairy tale ending in entrepreneurship. again, everyone. I have a question to start off this week's episode with you. Have you ever wondered how you can transform your vision or idea into a business? If this has been a question continually top of mind, you're in the right place. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about how to find your quote, fairy tale ending in entrepreneurship with Adrian Arieff. So Adrian is an expert in public relations and marketing communications. She's the founder of Arieff Communications, a successful PR firm that has offices in San Francisco and New York City. With a 13-year history as a leading lifestyle, public relations, marketing, communications, and social media firm, RF Communications provides innovative strategies for the world's top brands in consumer products, retail, consumer technology, sustainability, design, and wellness. Now, in addition to running a successful firm, Adrian has written for the New York Times, 7x7, Daily Candy, and C Magazine, and has authored slash co-authored two books, one called The Sacred Thread, and the second which we will be diving into today, which was recently just uh, released last fall. And this is called Fairy Tale Success, A Guide to Entrepreneurial Magic. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Adrienne. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Okay, so why don't we start off by talking about uh, you growing up. So what were you interested in? And how did you decide to go into public relations and communications? Well, it started off actually, it's kind of a boring story, but in college, I actually studied communications and anthropology. And uh, and then during that time, I, I had a real interest in campaigns and brands, even at 18 years old, and how they were positioned and how people got the word out. So it really, really started, at, I guess, in my teens, the interest. And then I kind of segued into strangely economics. Oh. <laughs> I still had an interest in, in education. And so I, after college, uh, worked in education for a while and then went to graduate school in international education and, and focused on economics. And so I worked at the UN and then I missed public relations, marketing, branding, thinking about brands and how they work in 
and function in the marketplace. Uh, and, it, and I just went back, I went right back into it, um, even after my brief uh, time in, in education and, and economics with uh, the United Nations. And, and so I was living in London and I had a boss at, at the UN and, and she was saying, you know, you, you should really think about, you know, fashion and design. You love it so much. And I just, not to be rude, but I think I can get you a job at Vogue. So it's funny, my boss at, at the UN helped me get my first job in, in fashion. And so I started in, in editorial and then kind of found my way back into public relations, going back into it with a brand Burberry out of the UK and worked there for a while. And then that kind of blossomed fashion lifestyle, consumer lifestyle. And then after many brands and campaigns and acquisitions, uh, I am officially a consumer marketing communications company. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That was a very long answer. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, that sounds like such good opportunities. It's so funny. When I was in university, I was in the Model United Nations Club for like four years. <laughs> of course. And it was the best it's thing ever. It's such a great club. I'm very <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> it's like that's the amazing. highlight of my university career. <laughs> um, but uh, so you transitioned into fashion. And then when did you decide to start your own firm? Like, how did you know the time was right? What was the process of kind of setting it up and well, it wasn't, clients? it wasn't a typical, it's not a story you hear every day, especially today where people have business plans and everything. Uh, I had been working for a large agency and they laid me off. Uh, they didn't, they only had a job in New York and I wanted to stay in San Francisco. So I was crying on a park bench and I called my friend and she said, why don't you just ask your friends if they need any PR help? And and so I did, and one actually hired me, so I had one client, and then my former boss had said, oh, I have a brand that would work well, and happy to be lush. And then I had met Ian Schrager, the hoteler, um, and he was doing a project in San Francisco, so then he, I told him I was starting a PR company all of a sudden because I had two clients, and then he hired me. So <laughs> within three months, I had um, two major brands and a startup. So then I thought, maybe I'm onto something here. And then one thing led to another, and I started to feel like it was a company, but it really didn't feel like a company for a couple of years. I was having so much fun. I couldn't believe that I could do this and, and not go to an office every day. I loved it. <laughs> it was so great. So I started just at my loft, and, uh, and then, you know, I had so many employees, but at one point, then I finally moved into an office because I had eight people working for me. And uh, we worked in an office, and, and it's funny, I've since changed my model where I have PR firms and consultants working for me. So it's a totally, a couple employees, but a totally different model. So it's funny how your company even grows and pivots in, in so many ways over the years. That's crazy. Um, so up until that point, were you just, all of you working out of your apartment? <laughs> yeah, the first year and a half, two years, uh, we had no overhead, basically laptops Amazing. in my apartment. I went to Ikea and I installed all these tables off of a wall. So they just <laughs> folded out. And then then I signed my first global client out of London, Ted Baker, launching him to America. And my husband was like, that's it, because the fax machine at the time, because I'm you know, this is, we're talking 13 years ago, so, or 12 years ago. So, um, you know, fax machines were still being used, and this, I kept all these beats, and he couldn't handle it. He was like, you have to get it off this! And so, I <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so for those who are looking to get into public relations, what are the first steps for really building relationships with media in their city? 
Uh, I think the first step is really contacting them and, and asking them for coffee, and that's the best way to develop a relationship. I do firmly believe that meeting people in person is still, if you can, especially locally, is the best way to do it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I just know quite a few younger women that really want to go into PR, but they're just not quite sure to start or like how to get experience after university or get their foot in the door. Internship. Always get an internship. Okay, okay. The internship at a PR firm is so similar to your first job as an account coordinator. They're almost one in the same. So if you've done a public relations internship, you're probably fine. And you would be able to, I always tell um, college kids, do two internships before you graduate. And then a lot of doors will be open for you. Mm, good advice. Um, so as you mentioned, you have kind of grown your company in San Francisco. How did you decide to launch an office in New York? And what was the most challenging part of that? Um, the real demand for fashion at the time when I was doing collections was in New York. And I, before I had children, I, I was spending a lot more time in New York. I had an apartment and I was there about two weeks a month. So oh, wow. half my time. I was half New Yorker, half San Francisco. Um, so for me, it was a no-brainer to launch an office there in a showroom because um, the bulk of my clients were in New York. And at the time, New York, you know, 12, 13 years ago, was really the center of the world um, in what I was doing. And now mm -hmm. it's kind of shifted over to San Francisco. So I'm still in New York often, but uh, not like I used to be. I'm in New York like once every six weeks for a few days. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I remember when we first met at um, Alt Summit, you were talking. I thought it was so cool. You're like, oh, I'm just um, helping out with New York Fashion Week, like this kids' fashion week thing with Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. That you have such a good memory, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, if anybody wants tickets and wants to go to New York, like, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, oh my God, it. who is this person? <laughs> She's so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, um, what I really wanted to focus on today is talking um, hopefully in depth about your book, The Fairy Tale Success, A Guide to Entrepreneurial Magic. So can we start off by talking a little bit about the book and what your experience was collaborating with someone to write a book? Like what was the whole process like? So uh, I had many collaborators, um, both celebrities and non-celebrities and VIPs and maybe growing VIPs in my book, so many people are VIPs. But I, I, uh, I found that um, Bev, I had done the Sacred Thread with her in my previous book, were quite good at divide, dividing and conquering. So she did a lot of the quizzes. I did the interviews. I interviewed 300 teenagers 20-somethings about what makes them excited and passionate. Whoa. The one thing I am professionally is super type A. I have very little room for error and, and patience, and that's a good thing and a bad thing, is I just, I just can't deal with sloppiness. And so uh, that can drive people crazy, but with Bev, it worked really well. <laughs> She's kind of the sloppy one, and I'm the type A one, So, but somehow it was beautiful magic, and, and um, she really is a great editor. So I did the bulk of the writing and the quizzes, the interview, I'm sorry, and the interviewing, she did the quizzes and a lot of the editing. And uh, we have very different experiences. Uh, so you know what I do. And she is a writer and a content creator. So she has a marketing company that does just content. And so we have similar challenges, you know, the ebbs and flows. And, and as we had discussed earlier, it's really, you know, and like the astronaut said to you today that you were talking about, um, really important to manage the the slow as much as the fast and I would be lying to you if, if I said everything's great all the time because it's not 
And I think it's um, it's important for people to talk about um, this the growth and the non-growth times um, because some years are astronomically good and some years not as much and and a lot of people only you know talk about talk about the good stuff but uh, I think with the book it is so much work and you have to be wildly passionate to write a book because it is so much focus and so much work. I mean, I worked so hard on, on, and I've actually written three books. Um, the other one was with my sister, uh, yeah. and it was many years ago. Um, but it's, it's a totally different genre. My uh, husband says you have, like, ADD uh, book writing skills, because I have covered <laughs> three very different platforms. Uh, my first book was actually a bestseller for Passion, um, and we traveled around the world for a year and covered spas around the world. And uh, it was wonderful. It was a coffee table book. It was an anthropology, uh, free people. It was like super boho. Everybody loved it. Um, cool. And it's called Spa. Um, and it's it's just basically a review of spas. It was one of the first kind of coffee table books on the subject. Um, and that was such a great experience. And I, again, I had collaborators doing it because... Without collaborators, you could really, I mean, unless you're writing a book full-time, it's just so much more work than you think it's going to be because you write your first draft and then there is a whole other edit that could literally be like writing a whole other book. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's definitely, um, there's, a, there's a quote, I think it's Norman Mailer, who just said, uh, hate writing, love to have written. <laughs> I think that's so accurate. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder how bloggers feel about that statement. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've heard a lot of people just this concept of blogger burnout. Like just in the last couple of years, there's these bloggers that have been, or a lot of well-known ones have been writing for like over 10 years now. And they're just getting completely burnt out with like generating content and just keeping up with it. Of course. Because <laughs> it's been I 10 mean, years. <laughs> God, I, I mean, I can't even imagine being a blogger. I can't imagine anything more stressful. <laughs> That's not true, actually, being a doctor, probably a merchant. <laughs> I mean, I just find blogging, I mean, you could really make yourself crazy writing all the time. But I have some dear friends that are bloggers, and they seem to have it under control. <laughs> so. Oh, man. So going back to the book, how did you first uh, come up with the concept of um, kind of describing entrepreneurship in a fairy tale way? Um, we had talked to quite a few teenagers and they all kind of had these fond memories. It's funny because Cinderella just came out. I should probably do some sort of revival. I was thinking about that. I'm like, I know I should probably, I haven't done anything. Um, cause I, I feel like books, it's kind of evergreen. I think anyone that's interested in being, you know, leading this lifestyle of entrepreneurship or following your own path, I think would would we'll be able to find the book. It, it sold very well in the first few months, and I think it's kind of tapered down a little bit, but maybe it's had a revival with Cinderella, which is mm-hmm. pretty cute, most, by the way. Um, the idea originally came more for college kids, so it is funny because it really has resonated well more with uh, 20-somethings and moms going back to work, so I'm really happy about that. Um, I, being a mother, just really inspired about um, kids, kids and direction, kids and learning, um, kids and their first sparks of interest. And I've always, I've always been kind of interested in that subject matter, having studied it in graduate school. And, and I just, uh, I don't know. I, I thought that when you don't have kids and a mortgage and risk, I think that's the time that you can just go for it. And I just wanted to write a book about it because so many people in San Francisco are just going for it, starting at 12 years old. And um, just case study after case study of, you know, there's this wonderful charity called We, just We, like We as an I. 
and uh, I went to the Wee Day the other day, about two weeks ago, and there were like 70,000 fam- uh, people there, and I don't know how many families, maybe 40,000 families, 70,000 people. And the parents brought their kids, and these kids had to earn their way in, and it was all an entrepreneurship for young people. Yeah. It really was exciting. Have you heard of this? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's on by the Kilberger it's a whole brothers? Yeah, exactly. Free the children? And it was just really, really... Um, it's, it, that's exactly right. And it was just so terrific. I mean, it's a little, little bit evangelistic, but it was amazing. Just the, the inspiration and the kids. And I mean, I just think it's a really great time to start young and your risk is less when you're younger. And I think that's the time when you really jump in because it just gets a little bit trickier as you get older if you choose to, you know, have kids and a mortgage and all that stuff. Yeah, that's that's so funny. Um, you know how you have kind of those certain memories or like defining moments in your formative years. Um, of for course, me, yes. yeah, I went to this leadership conference. Like there was like me and three other students from my school that got to go to this one in high school. And I distinctly remember Mark Kilberger was one of the speakers and he just like blew my mind. And this was way before like we day started or before free the children had become like the mammoth organization that it is today and just he spoke with so much passion and purpose and I was blown away and just so stoked about it and now they've grown to become like this international movement it's crazy yeah it's so phenomenal it's a it's definitely a global movement and it's real and it's growing and it's insanity yeah but it's just like so cool to see that now, I guess this is like over 10 years ago now, like they've still been focusing on their vision and it's just grown like over the course of the last decade to be this like massive movement that it is today. But it, it was cool to see him yeah, like, just really, when it was small. It's really special. <laughs> and there's so many other kind of sub movements as well that are, I mean, look, if you can impact one person, you've done something well. So I think that um, that always resonate. I, I launched a mentor program and it got a little out of hand when I, when I launched it, we had so many applicants. So I've, I've definitely narrowed it down. I used to have all these very godmothers that were mentoring mm-hmm. and some of them still are, I believe. Uh, but it was so much to manage with a full-time job yeah. and being a mother. So I kind of calmed it down, but I have three women I see regularly. I feel like they're therapists and I guide them. <laughs> I help them. I help them stay stay out of trouble and they're wonderful and uh two of them are actually bloggers and um one of them is uh in marketing so it's been a lot of fun oh that's so great um okay and then a lot of a lot of people that just contact me too i mean i i'll i give a lot of my time to young people anyway so yeah it's it's, i mean mentorship is so critical i think for people's growth especially women too right just getting i don't well i don't know if it's especially women but for me personally, I like think just, for everyone, yeah, getting that yeah, sense of validation I, and um, support is so important. <laughs> yeah, I wrote uh, a column in the Huffington Post about two months ago on mentoring, and you know, I didn't have enough mentors growing up. I, I really, I had you know, it sounds so cheesy, but my mom was kind of my number one mentor. Um, she owned her own business and she has been sucked away, unfortunately, but she was such a powerful light in my life that. It was amazing having her as my primary mentor. Because mm-hmm. when I was writing this column, I was really thinking, and you can just find it online. But um, so I talked about her in the column, but, but the importance of inclusion and mentoring um, at the highest level, too. All these big companies, they, I think it's absolutely integral in any junior person, anyone's kind of 
um, you know, grow, uh, climbing the corporate ladder or go working at that small PR firm or in entertainment or whatever. I mean, God, I just, there's so much bullying going on and there's so many mean supervisors. I just feel like mentoring. I feel like every company, big and small, should have at least one mentor talking to people and helping them along the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so going back to the book for a moment here, I know that the one of the concepts in it is to really educate and inspire young women that have great business ideas, but don't really know what to do with these ideas or how to proceed with them. So what are kind mm-hmm. of the first steps for them to starting to plan out a business from their vision or idea? Yeah, well, usually it's just so you have an idea. So that's something. <laughs> and then you have to write down what this, what the solution is from your idea. So, you know, like, where is your idea original? Has no one done it? Or has someone done it and you're doing it better? So I think it's really important to actually write a business plan on any idea. And we give a lot of tips and tools on the business plan in the book. So um, I, I just feel like that's a critical piece of this because you really, and, and you need to talk to some friends and family, even have them sign an NDA or a verbal NDA that, you know, they don't tell mm. anyone what you're doing. But um, I think even if you don't launch the business, I think the act of writing a business plan is really important because you can really understand what it takes in terms of capital, in terms of the creative and the day-to-day and what bandwidth you actually need. Uh, And you will know pretty quickly once you launch and and you start to get people interested in, in, um, in supporting you. I mean, usually if you have a good idea, and you have an idea of the growth model. Uh, and that's just, you know, doing research on Google. You can pretty much figure anything out on Google. Uh, you can get capital from an angel investor, a venture capitalist angel for small amounts of money um, fairly quickly in this day and age. And sometimes you yourself can fund it. But, uh, you know, it's easy to open an Etsy shop. It's, it's easy to start a website. I mean, it's you could start a company in five minutes today. It's unbelievable. Yeah, There's a lot of noise. It's just a question of, are you just noise or are you really something? <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and and you never know. It's it's trend driven. You know, right now in San Francisco, the big trend are apps that are on on demand. You know, on demand massage, on demand laundry, whatever. So will that stay and become something lucrative and get market share? Who knows? But right now it's hot. But that doesn't mean it's hot in a month, and that doesn't mean that all of those brands will go out of business. So you take a chance and you go with it. But if you're passionate about it, you have to just believe in it, but also be okay, I believe, if you fail. Some of these kids I meet are so, they, they just, I don't know. I, I think it's okay to fail. I think our best learnings are when we fail. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, again, like you said, it's when you have no assets, no kids, no partner to have to be held accountable to that's like the best time to fail <laughs> really and that's exactly right <laughs> yes that's I what agree. I tell myself right now at least <laughs> <laughs> that's true I promise I promise <laughs> um so you can, I know you can that... call me in tears if you're ever having a bad day <laughs> <laughs> um okay so in the book um I think you outlined some key questions that you can ask yourself when starting your business and you just talked about some of them and then you also have some quizzes and self-assessment tools so can you tell us a little bit more about some of the tools that are sprinkled throughout the book uh, for starting a business or 
Uh, or in yeah. Gen- well, both. I mean, in yeah. general. So, so some of the things that we, yeah, sprinkled throughout the, the book. I mean, we always say, talk to your friends, ask them what they think. They're ones that are going to give you an honest answer. Uh, if you have an idea and you think it's genius, it's so important to get feedback before you do anything with it. Uh, because one thing you may think is genius, your friends could be like, this is the dumbest idea, but they probably won't say it quite like that. But I, so there's a lot of repetition in the book about that. Talk to your network. Mm-hmm. Once the idea is something that maybe seems a bit lucrative, uh, then have your expand on your network through social media or wherever and talk to people beyond that network. There's so much stuff out there right now and so many apps and so much crap. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And so I find it pretty easy to navigate just because I've been doing this a while. So I can see I'm like junk, 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 junk. And 99% of the time I'm right. But that's just because I've launched a lot of things that aren't junk. So I can recognize junk pretty quickly. Mm. (laughs) So uh, I just, I, I encourage in the book, I really encourage people to really do their homework. If you just jump in with a knee jerk reaction, you're a fool. You always have to do your homework. People like shortcuts. They like a fast buck. It never works. And I'm a total annoying mommy, and I drive people crazy. But I'm. It's one of the few things I. You can't ever be a hundred percent sure, but I'm ninety nine percent sure. Uh, and talk about this quite a bit in the book. Um, just that you need to take your time. Yes, you need to hustle, but you always need to do your homework. You always need to get feedback. And, and keep reevaluating what you're doing. And, and one of the things in the book, too, that I mention is that, you know, know where you're at in the business stage. If you're really at, say, 0.5, they say that, like, you know, when you're, you're on the, say, with an airplane, what do you, like a launch pad, like when you, the, the plane is about to take off, do you need five planes to take off or do you need, one plane, if you're in it, to take off, probably just one. And a lot of people launch with five airplanes. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't, it's too much. And this is why so many startups are doing online marketing and online advertising and they're doing all this stuff and they have a fancy website. You can create a website for, for free. You can do some Google AdWords for, you know, five, per, five cents per click. You can really play around with things um, at a very small level and test it. And I really believe in building blocks. Whenever I start with a new startup, I say, and I mentioned this in the book many times, there are, there are phases. And if you're in phase one, know what phase one looks like and, and project phase two and what that would look like. But don't jump into phase two. So it's, it's uh, really important in startup mode to know you. The, the, most people just spend too much money on online advertising and then they go under really quickly or they spend too much money on their website. I see it so much because those are the two things that are so specialized in skill set that a lot of vendors will charge a lot of money and they're doing, you know, this work on the back end, but most of the time these startups don't need the back end. And there are so many websites um, that will do a lot of this for you, at least with, you know, uh, e-commerce. And and so things are changing really quickly. A $20,000 website, Two years ago, or fifty thousand is you know now like two thousand. Templates yeah. are all done. You know, if you notice, all the new websites look exactly the same. They're just people don't read anymore, so it's just big photographs and less text. So that's <laughs> a big trend. 
I mean, I even updated my website. I still have content on it, but I have some visuals. <laughs> no, I saw that. <laughs> I, like, I noted that in an email I sent you. I was like, oh, I love all the new visuals and stuff on your site. <laughs> and that's actually some of the stuff. Thank you. Some of the uh, stuff in the book is about this, too, is I found from my company personally as an entrepreneur, my website was so out of date and it was only two years old. I literally felt like I was, I had a website that looked like I was from the eighties or something, even though (laughs) that's totally not true, but it felt that way. I'm like, what happened? I closed my eyes for a second and I'm out of date. So I updated it and I learned so much in the process, but I didn't spend that much money Mm -hmm. because I knew I needed it to look good because that's the company brand. And there's a lot of this in the book just on, it's, it's image and it's brand positioning, but I didn't need to spend a fortune to achieve what I was trying to do, which was just to have an updated website. <laughs> so it's just gauge what's going to bring in new business and how much you want to spend, but also how much money you have to spend. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just in terms of promoting, like if you have a new business or say you set, set up some sort of Etsy site or something, do you have any tips on how someone with not a very big budget could... I don't know, like really engage on social media or build exposure. Um, just yeah, I think uh, on social, follow all the, at least on Instagram and Pinterest, follow all the bloggers you love and media you love and comment on their stuff and tell them to take a look at your stuff. That's, that's phase one. That's free. That just takes time and that's fun. Uh, and social media is an amazing tool for advertising. And it's not very expensive to you know promote your pins, um, and promote your posts, Twitter-sponsored ads, Facebook ads. You can do it for a very little amount of money now. Now You can literally carve out a campaign for $1,000 a month now, mm-hmm. or even less sometimes. So there's a lot. If you have no budget, then you just do the social media. If you have a little budget, you use social media and you promote a little bit within that. And they make it so easy for you. They literally spell it out for you on Facebook and Google AdWords and Pinterest and what you need to do. It's pretty amazing. You don't have to hire anyone because you can do it yourself. (laughs) But you have to be found. And so it's important that you do this daily. So it's a lot of work, but you have to do it. And and that's the way you get the word out. And then that's the social media part of it. And there's, we have a a whole social media section in the the book as well. Uh, And then, and then the PR part, again, it's the same thing. Just reach out to media you like, Ask if they'll cover your brand. Make sure you highlight the key points of differentiation in your brand and what you're trying to, uh, excuse me, trying to achieve or your your promise on the brand. Uh, you know, I always say deliver on a brand promise. You know, what do you? Mm-hmm. What is the service trying to do, or or what is the brand trying to achieve? Or you know what I mean? So, okay, that sounds great. Great advice. Um, so from your experience of just being like both an author and owning your own company for the last 13 years and building a family, like how do you find the work-life balance? I know it's like the million dollar question. <laughs> I know, you know, some people are so like, I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't know. I mean, I am on my cell phone too much and I have too much screen time and I make myself crazy. Uh, I don't know. I do know that I, see my children every day and I do know that I spend my entire weekends with them and so I am comfortable with the amount of time that I spend with them of course I wish it was more but I think you everyone has their own kind of code (laughs) for what makes sense so I do what makes sense to me but some people you know only need to see their kids an hour a week some people need to see their kids 
10 hours a day. So it really depends on, on the individual, but I just, I just trust my instincts and I follow them. That sounds a little bit cheesy, but uh, that's what I do. And, uh, and I, you know, I, everything I do, I do with clarity and, and honesty and integrity. And it just really, and that just makes my life easier. Mm, so as I, 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 all my stuff am a straight shooter, <laughs> I'm very direct, which can drive, which can freak people out. And I know I scare a lot of people, but I'm actually like, I've been told I'm a really nice person too. I'm just very direct. <laughs> um, I have no tolerance for any crap. And, and the good thing is anyone that works for me um, comes out a much better professional in the end and hopefully a better person. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, I think, Obviously, being upfront with people, but just being like tactful with it is such an important skill set to have instead of just kind of letting things build up and just being really communicative, essentially, um, whether it be in a business or a relationship. But it's one of those things that I think people find very challenging. Yeah, and that's right? how you are, too. You're going to be that's how you are as well. I mean, you're in your 20s and you're doing so well and you're doing all these great things and it's scary and it's exciting. It's wonderful. But you're going after your passion and you're making it a reality. And that's why I wrote the book for people like you. I mean, you are exactly uh, fairy tale success. Like you and I met on a, I was speaking at a conference and you were incredible and you stood out in the crowd. And, and the thing is, is there are people that touch you in different ways. And I was like, wow, she's great. She's smart. She's cool. <laughs> you know, and, but it takes, but, but people are very scared to speak up. But uh, but you weren't, and a lot of people are uh, really scared to to speak up. And what what most people find is when they speak up, when they respect another professional, that professional will be so happy that that person uh, said that they wanted to reach out. People typically like to help others. Yeah, and that's absolutely. The wonderful thing about human beings. So. Um, I always tell people to reach out and that's why social media, the, the part, there's a ton of stuff I don't like about social media, but what I do love is it connects people and it connects people that no one ever had an opportunity to connect with before. You can love a brand or a founder or have a crush and you can like one of their posts and they can respond to you and that's empowering and that's exciting and that wasn't available to people um, back in the day, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> so even like, I like I think, seven or eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really respect some people's work, and I love that I can comment and say, oh, this article was ab- an absolute joy to read. I didn't, Ted is having a big conference right now, and Monica Lewinsky just did this very, oh, you heard this very empowering speech. Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. Oh, it's in Vancouver. They host TED now. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's yeah. in Vancouver. I'm sorry. Yes. And uh, we should all be watching it. And the whole Ashley Judd thing, the whole anti-bullying thing and cyberbullying, rather. And, I mean, we're so lucky that we can just go online for free and listen to this amazing speech that she just gave that's going to help so many young people. I mean, 17 years ago, this scandal hit. So things like that are absolutely extraordinary to me. And just make the world feel like anything's possible, or and your touch points are so much more attainable. It's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm, that's great. I forgot you were in Vancouver. Ugh, I used to go to those TED conferences, but not on my budget anymore. I know. <laughs> I was going to say. I, I just don't have like <laughs> ten or twenty grand to spend on going. Exactly. Exactly. But it is if you ever have a chance to go, go. 
Yeah, it's, it's on my bucket list for sure. And now it's definitely more accessible. I'm like, I don't have to fly there or anything now. <laughs> exactly. In the meantime, just watch it online. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> that is free. Yeah, absolutely. I just have a couple more questions for you. So from all of your experience, what would be kind of your top three tips that you have for running a successful business? Uh, work. Uh, expect to work like crazy hours. Uh, learn to turn off though that's two but you you should turn off I don't think you should always be on or really have some heart palpitation Mm -hmm. Um, and the third don't be scared to pivot or make a change when something's not working that's great great advice yeah we were talking a little bit about that offline and how your um, company has shifted its focus quite a bit over the course of like the 13 years and to be okay with that yeah. Yeah. I mean, change and is scary. Do this. Yeah. I'm sorry. What? Oh, change is scary, but I think it's inevitable, right? Yeah. To, to stay afloat. But I, I think so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> change is scary, but is inevitable. <laughs> so, yeah, indeed. I agree with that. Um, sorry, what were you going to say right before? God, I don't even know. I'm sorry. See what happens <laughs> when you get older? <laughs> You're not even that old. <laughs> I'm not that old, but I'm older than you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, my final question today that um, we ask all of the guests on the show is uh, our show is called The Love Noteworthy Show. And um, the whole concept of being love noteworthy is really combining the qualities of love notes. So being really sincere and passionate and personalized and thoughtful and meaningful and authentic with your audience. And then also um, building in that noteworthiness. So really finding or discovering what your it factor is and how you can provide a unique brand offering, whether it's you being a person or a business or a brand. So what would be your number one tip for others on how they can be more love noteworthy in their business brand and life? Hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, number one tip, uh, be your authentic self. I think that's the number one tip. So can you elaborate on that a bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, The reason why I think being your authentic self is so important is because there are so many copycats right now, more than ever, in Mm -hmm. every single industry, it appears. So if you can just stay true to your voice and and who you are, uh, I think you'll be just fine. Uh, I really... Uh, I think if you're launching, I don't know, if you're launching a music label or you're launching a marketing company or a content creation company or PR, whatever you're doing, uh, really think about it that what makes you tick, what makes you excited, not what makes your colleague excited, but what makes you excited and what you want to share with your customers, clients. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because, I mean, let me tell you, there are a lot of communications companies and if I copied all of them, I would just get lost. But I just try to be myself. Mm-hmm, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Adrian, for being on the show today. I know that there is lots of great advice that you provided. And for those of you who haven't checked it out already, please do pick up um, her book. And it's available online and um, in store, I believe. Is that correct? I know you yes, can, correct. I know you it's can get it. Most barns that- at least in America, it's all the Barnes and Nobles and most major and small booksellers. But you can order it at any bookseller; they'll get it for you. 
And I believe you can also get it at Amazon for all of you Canadians out there. I definitely prefer to order my stuff online because I love getting packages in the mail. But regardless of that, thank you so much, Adrian, for being here with us today. And thank you so much, everyone else, for listening. My challenge for you today is to tell us one action you are going to take to help launch your vision from idea to business. Now, that's all the time that we have today. And as always, we really appreciate you continuing to listen to the Love Noteworthy show and would love for you to interact with us on social at Sims on Twitter, at BeLoveNoteworthy on Instagram, or via email. Now, coming up in April, I'm going to be hosting a 10-day personal branding bootcamp that is completely free. So if you want to take advantage of everything that you need to know about your personal brand foundations and really creating a brand that's really going to inspire, please do sign up at www.resims.com. There should be a pop-up there where you can just add your email address and we'll get going in mid-April. Thank you so much again, everyone. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to stay love noteworthy.